So 32 years has gone by. And even to this day, you think that you would get used to it after so long, but this time of year is always so hard. Daylight savings. Why? Why? You know, we appreciate you, Arizona. So, you probably can't tell, but I haven't always made the best decisions in my life. Shocker. <laughs> I'm human like everybody else, I know. So, I, I, you know, when it comes to, to the, the way that you're supposed to act and the way you're supposed to live and conduct yourself, as a, especially as a pastor's kid, um, I did not conduct my... Actually, I guess I did kind of conduct myself as a pastor's kid because we have a rap of being... Just, crazy. And, and uh, so I, uh, you know, I, when I was younger, when I was a younger teenager, I was very passionate about what I believed uh, to a fault. Uh, for example, in middle school, I remember being in the restroom, and there was a guy in there that I, I knew, and he lit up a joint and decided he was going to offer it to me. That was very nice of him. Uh, but I could have said, no, thank you, and walked out of the restroom, and he would have been perfectly fine. Uh, but instead, I decided, no. I pushed him into the wall as hard as I could, and I told him he shouldn't be doing it either. Yeah, shouldn't have been like that. Should have just said no. And, yeah. Nancy Reagan would have been proud, though. You know, Just say no. But uh, another example, being at youth camp as a... Uh, as a young teenage boy with hormones, my wife was there. She was not my wife, nor was she my girlfriend. Uh, she actually didn't want to have anything to do with me. Uh, and I don't blame her. <laughs> I don't blame her. Um, because I, I was not the, the guy that was with the other dorms playing sports, I was the guy that wanted to be the fulfillment to every girl's life Bible verse if that verse was... 2 Kings 3.15, that starts off, but now bring me a musician. I was like, I'll be that musician. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd be with my guitar, singing to the girls, not about God. Um, yeah. So I guess my principles were a little skewed, and the things I prioritized were a little, little off. So, but we're going to be talking about, in the same series that we've been in playlists, going into Psalm 101, talking about how to live a godly life and, and kind of the things that we should have in our lives and the things that we should eliminate and remove from our lives that are, that are toxic, that's going to keep us from living a godly life. Um, so when I say a godly life, I don't mean a perfect life because, well, you can't live a perfect life. Um, you know, if you say that you are, I'll be a gambling man and bet that you aren't and I will win. So, only Christ lived a perfect life. <laughs> so, but we're going to talk about uh, integrity. And integrity basically is it's our moral compass. It's having moral principles, living upright. And if, if you don't have integrity, well, you don't really have anything, and you're just a pushover, and you just, you're influenced, and you go whichever way the wind blows. And so, as we look at the 101st Psalm, we're going to see also what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God and how to go about doing that. 
And sometimes, I'll be honest, it's hard to live a godly life when, when there's things that are very enticing. And sometimes it just it feels really good to do the wrong thing. For example, as a Walmart, I, uh, I have nothing against Walmart. It's the people that go to Walmart when I'm there. It's like there's this internal clock that the enemy puts in their head saying, Derek's going to Walmart. Go to Walmart. We'll get him this time. No, I mean, it's, it's true. I feel like everybody's out to get me or everybody's out to make me mad. So, you know, they're just going around like looking, oh, look at that, look at that. Just get your groceries and go home. So, in the store. It's just, it doesn't matter how, how good of a day you're having. You go to the store and it's like, boom, I'm at Walmart. Wonderful. It doesn't matter what time of day. And evil people come in all shapes and sizes. So we're at the store, Tara and I, and we're having some kind of disagreement about something. It was very petty, nothing, nothing big. And uh, this woman that I don't know decides to, to chime in on our conversation. She decides that she's going to compare me to her husband, which she's making out to be a deadbeat. Oh, I can feel it. And I could feel the Holy Spirit like, boy, keep your mouth shut. Don't you dare. I can, I can, I can sense those words in your heart. Those aren't godly words. No, they're not. But I didn't say anything. I just... Well, I didn't even give her a dirty look. I felt very proud of myself. But then the other little guy on my shoulder was like, you missed a great opportunity. And you really could have told her off. I could have, but it would accomplish nothing. So, but we're going to look at, uh, look at Psalm 101 and see how we need to live a godly life. Let's start off looking at verse 1 and verse 2. And it says this. It says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? So we notice the first thing he's doing is worship. Worship is a powerful weapon. Before he, he does any, decides any of the other things later in the chapter, he declares in worship and he worships God for his character, for his love, for his justice. And this whole psalm is a declaring psalm. It's not, you know, I hope that this happens or I wish that this would happen. No, he's declaring, this is how I'm going to live my life I don't care about other people seeing me living a godly life. I care about pleasing God. And this is how I'm going to delegate my household. This is how I'm going to delegate my kingdom, because this is David talking here. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart, and he wanted to please God. Even after he made all the mistakes that he made, he still had a desire to please God, to walk in the way that's, that's blameless. And look at the first part of verse 3, and it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. So whenever I'm in the market to buy something, um, usually big purchases such as guitars or TVs or guitar. I love guitars. I really do. I don't need a bunch, but I, I love them so much. I, yeah, our, our living room is decorated in my guitars hanging on the wall. That is our decoration. I love it. Um, but what I'll do is when I'm in the market for something, I will compare 
you know, two different products or multiple products of different brands. Maybe it's the same brand of two different styles. And I'll, I'll do this, you know, several months in advance before I even decide this is okay. I'm going to make this purchase. And, and I will decide if it's worth doing, you know, pros and cons and everything. And sometimes when you're in the store, not to be compared to Walmart, but when you're in the store, uh, sometimes there's impulsive buying, right? And, and gentlemen, I'm going to help you out and give your wives a trick. This is going to be so great for you. Some guys have trouble with this too. But. So impulsive shopping. Now, if this is online shopping, I can't help you. You're out of luck. But if you're in the store and you have a problem with going along and like, ooh, something shiny, and then you just buy it, and then all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, you're like, well, I can't pay that bill because I got the shiny thing. Well, this, this is that. So here's the trick. When you're going through the store and you see something, and you're like, that's amazing, you got to have it. Even though you don't need it, go ahead, just put it in your cart. But don't go to checkout. Take like an hour and walk around the store and then really think about what it's going to cost you. Think about, before you buy it, think, is this really worth it? Am, am I going to be financially okay if I get this? Or is my spouse going to punch me in the head if I do this? Not really. Don't abuse your spouse. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's those things to consider. So when it comes to our lives, we have to think about that when we come into toxic relationships, when we have things that influence us. Like it says in the verse, I will not set before my eyes anything that is, that is worthless. When something comes into our focus, do we ask the question, is this worth it? Like, is this godly? Is what I'm, is what I'm focusing on now something that is reflective of Christ? Or is this something that's going to get me in trouble? Is this worth losing my job? Is this worth my kids hating me over? So if you've ever seen a horse-drawn carriage, a lot of times you will see the horses and they will have these blinders on. Now, as a kid, I thought they were completely just blinded. And I was like, why would you blind a horse? You're just going to run into something. And I, would, I was young. But now I realize what they were for. And they would keep the, the horse from seeing out of its peripheral vision anything that would spook it or anything that would distract it that would cause it to, you know, jeopardize the passengers in the carriage. And so that's pretty much how we need to be. We need to have these spiritual blinders on and the things that aren't of God, the things that we shouldn't be focused on should be held off to the side to where our main focus is what we should be focusing on. If there's things that we struggle with, go to the source and remove it. For example, if you have a drug addiction, don't go to the neighborhood where you used to hang out and get your supply. That's bad. Remove yourself from that atmosphere. If you struggle with looking at things you shouldn't look at, go to the source and remove it. You know, trade your smartphone for an old Nokia phone. You can't text at all, but uh, pros are you can play Snake. Um, you can make phone calls. It's nostalgic. And you can use it as a weapon because it's virtually indestructible. It really is. Those old phones are great. 
Um, I know a guy who, who broke his only after the third time of running it over with his car. So it's great. So whatever the issue is, though, go to the source and remove it. We need to know that it's not a sin to be tempted, but you can make it not so easy to be tempted. You can remove that ease of access there. So look at the last part of verse 3. It says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. You know, so many times when we're claiming the, Christ, the, the title of Christianity, saying that we are a Christ follower, it kind of, in the world, lumps us in with everybody else that claims the title of Christian, which isn't sometimes really a good thing because there's people who claim to be Christians and they're picketing signs of, of pure hatred and, and it's, they're showing hatred to people. And there's people that... Uh, are famous pastors or famous worship leaders who, you know, inadvertently get put on a, pedestal, uh, on a pedestal. And what happens is so many years later, these people decide to step away from faith and they become agnostic, which if you don't know what that means, a simple version is we believe that we do not believe. That's what agnostics are. So it's a fancy word for atheists, I guess. So what happens is there's a ripple effect is they step away from faith and they cause other people to doubt their faith because they've looked up to these people. These people have been influences in their lives. So we have to watch out for people who are, are fake, people who claim to be Christians. Look at verse 4. It says, A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. So see, David puts, he knows that anything that does not reflect godly living, anything that doesn't reflect a life that's pleasing to God, he does not associate himself with. He does not condone. He is not a part of it. And he gets as far away as possible. So for him, it's very black and white. And the perverse heart that we're seeing here in verse 4 is, is, is someone who is so far away from 100% truth. They will give half-truths. They will, they will twist words around. They will lie. They're deceitful. And they, these people are manipulative in, in everything that they do. And we have to know that we all, every single person has a circle of influence. There's many things that we have in our lives that influences, uh, such as outside sources like social media. That's, that's a big one. That can be good. There's some, some comforting things on there, and there's some not-so-comforting things on there. Um, the news, TV shows, movies. And if you don't think you can be influenced by a movie, well, you can. I was watching uh, The Avengers Endgame in theaters when it came out. And towards the end, there was a character by the name of Thor. Of course, by this time, he was, had kind of lost himself, cause so he was Fat Thor. And he had a massive beard. Well, towards the end, he did some kind of thing, prepping for battle, and there's lightning. And, and all of a sudden, he's in armor, and his beard is braided. And I was like, oh, that's epic. I got to do that. So as soon as we get home, I go to the bathroom, and I'm, like, putting braids in my beard, looking like a, a Viking minus the hair. And, and I'm like, oh, that's scary. That's intimidating. Except it really wasn't because I had these little pink hair ties tying the braids that I stole from my daughter. So, but 
I was influenced to, to do that. It was, it was a very heavy influence. Um, the biggest influences, though, that we see are the people that we affiliate ourselves with, whether it be family or friends or the people that we work with. You know, look for me, I, I work at a church, so I have, you know, great influences. <laughs> no, I, I really do. And honestly, that's a two-way street, so I think we, uh, one of us is gasoline and the other one's fire. It just, it's great. <laughs> So you can be influenced, and so the biggest influences in your life are going to be the people. And you have to ask yourself, are the people that are in my direct circle of influence, are these, are these people worth having around? Do these people inspire me to be a better version of me? Do they encourage me to live a godly life, or do they bring me down? Are they pessimistic? Are they always full of negativity? And we have to ask ourselves that question. And let's look at some of the people and some of the characteristics of people that we need to eliminate from our lives that are toxic. Look at the first part of verse 5. It says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. So some of you are hearing this, and you're starting to sweat, because you're like, you know, I know somebody like that. Or you are like that. But don't admit it. No, don't, don't be confessing. If you don't know what this looks like when it comes to slandering somebody. Let me, let me give you an example. <clears throat> oh, my gosh, Ashley, did you see Becky? She kissed that guy, and she's like, oh, my God, and she has leprosy now? Can you believe it? I'm not just picking on the women. Men do this, too. It's like, oh, yeah, boss, uh, yeah, that, that guy you hired, um, I, think, I think he's stealing stuff from you. Yeah, he, dude, he's, he's a piece of trash. He talks about you behind your back, all this other stuff. Yeah, the... the the stories are completely made up, and I don't know anybody that's like that because I don't affiliate myself with those people. They're toxic, <laughs> but it's fun to talk like that. Um, so each of these people, they're, they're, they're lying, and they're gossiping about people and, and dragging their names through the mud, and these are toxic people. These people will ruin relationships. They will divide communities. And so it's best to stay as far away from them as, as possible. And I know Pastor Brian has, has talked about this numerous times from here. And it's, we don't talk bad about people. We don't talk about people behind their back. And if somebody confides in, in us and, and tells us something, and then somebody else that's not part of that group says, well, what's going on? I don't know. Or I'll be like, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. I'm sorry. You know, we don't talk about, you know, if we have an issue with somebody, we'll go and we'll meet with them face-to-face. -face. It might not be pretty, but that's their own fault. They brought it on themselves. So verse 5, the last part of verse 5, whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. So have you ever seen the old animated movie, 101 Dalmatians? Came out in 1961. So there's a, a scene in there where Pongo, the dog, he's, he's looking out the window trying to find a mate for his owner. And all these different uh, human-dog pairings are passing by his view, and they all look exactly alike. Or, or the, the pairings look like each other. So you have this short little frumpy dog and this short little frumpy person, and they, all, they match each other. So there was this, this one pairing that 
this woman is, is walking with her dog, and, and she's walking, and her nose is up, and her eyes are closed. She's walking. And, you know, in real life, she'd run into a street sign, and it'd be hilarious. But it's a cartoon, so that, that doesn't happen. But it's funny how there's an, this assimilation between snobby or, or snooty people uh, and their noses being up in the air and looking down on people. Um, we know that God sees people's hearts. He sees how they are. But David wants to take it a step further and remove people who are not just arrogant in heart, but have arrogant looks who actually like look down on people. There was a story about a pastor who got hired for this mega church, 10,000 plus congregation. And him and the elders decided that uh, on his first Sunday, he was going to dress up and he dressed up as a homeless person. And kind of doing this little experiment, not really a prank. Definitely, you shouldn't be pranking on your first day at the job, at least. And so he's going through, and three people, three out of 10,000, actually greet him. And he gets all these judging looks. He's asking for change so he can get some food. Nothing. People are trying to avoid him at all costs. He goes to sit down in the front row, and the ushers ask him to move to the back. And so the service starts, and they go through some, some songs, and the elders do the announcements, and, and then the elders say, which, again, they're, they're in on this, and they say, we want to introduce to you our, our new pastor. And so everybody's clapping and cheering. They're super excited. They're anticipating everything. And then everybody just quiets because they see this homeless person walking down the center aisle to the front of the church, grabs the microphone, and everybody's just dead silent. And he says, you know, today I, I see a gathering of people and not a church of Jesus. The world has too many people in it and not enough disciples. And he goes on quoting the entire scripture that talks about, you know, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty, Lord? You know, when you, when you do this to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so many people will look down on somebody that they think is less than them. Now, I, I don't consider myself a wealthy person. I'd like to be, but it's not that important. <laughs> but I, I pray that a lot of times that God will send somebody in my path that I can help in some form or fashion because I, I, I get joy out of giving to people and helping people out. Um. Sometimes it's me just hearing a story about how a worship song just really turned things around for somebody. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's, you know, putting gas in somebody's gas tank. It's buying them food, buying lunch for them, buying groceries for them. Sometimes it's just giving them cash. And there's some situations that it's kind of sketchy, and I'm like, I really need to know if this is, <laughs> if the Lord really wants me to help this person because... I don't need to be putting myself and my family in danger because this is messed up. But I want to, to help these people. One thing you will never see, or ne you will never hear me tell you a story like this. You will never hear me tell you a story with like details about me helping somebody. Um, you'll never see a picture of me on Instagram, Facebook, of me helping somebody in need. And that sounds kind of messed up, I guess. But the reason why is because I don't want people to know about it. I don't care about people 
knowing that I'm helping somebody because it's not to get attention. You know, it's so I can help somebody so that somebody in this chaotic, hate-filled world can experience the love of Jesus through a small action as giving somebody a sandwich. Because believe it or not, that little act could be the only Jesus that that person ever knows. And so that brings me so much joy that I get to have that opportunity. But the problem, and the problem that, that David's talking about, is a situation where you would have somebody or a group of people in need, and you go to a poor part of a city, but instead you have somebody in an expensive three-piece suit who has a film crew, and all he's doing is handing out gospel tracts to a bunch of hungry people, and they're like, we can't eat paper. We're kind of hungry. And he's in there taking selfies and saying, look at the good that we're doing in this community. What good? Like a a dated gospel track that sounds kind of cult-like? No. And he's looking down on them like like they're less and taking advantage of this, their situation. These are the kind of people that we need to eliminate from our lives. Look at verse 6. It says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. So we see now that David's talking about the people that he wants to employ, the people that he wants to have in his household, in his kingdom. And so if we want to live a godly life, we need to surround ourselves with godly people. Uh, If you're having a bad day, are you going to go to somebody who's uh, pessimistic and negative all the time? No, I mean, you're not going to be like, hey, uh, I'm having a really hard time. Uh, I need some encouragement. Will you pray for me? Oh, man, you just stay down. You might as well, yeah, just when, when you think you're up, the world just comes along and just kicks you down. And I don't even pray because, you know, I asked the Lord to, to give me the lottery and never happened. Well, did you buy a ticket? Nope, he's almighty. He should just give it to me. So you're not just negative. You're also stupid. So you don't go to those kinds of people for encouragement or for prayer. You're going to go to somebody who's positive, somebody that, that is going to lift you up and say, hey, man, I, I'm having a really hard time. I could use some encouragement and I could use some prayer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, what's going on? Well, a member in my family passed away and I'm just having a really tough time. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I want you to know that God is close to the brokenhearted and I am here for you and whatever you need, I will do. Let's pray. And so they pray for him. Maybe even take them out to lunch. So those are the kind of people that we need in our lives, those positive reinforcements. So now I will say this. I'm not a very affectionate type person. I am with, with Tara and my girls. You know, I love my little family. I'm hugging and kissing on them. But... You know, I'm not someone that's very outwardly affectionate with everyone else. Um, for example, if I'm talking on the phone, which I hate talking on the phone. I hate it. As soon as I get on the phone, I just want to get up like, babe, I'll, I'll see you at home. Bye. <laughs> no. But I, if I'm talking to Brian on the phone, I'm not going to end the conversation with, all right, well, I'll see you at church tomorrow. I love you. No. That's, that's not our dynamic there. That's not, that's not how we roll. So, 
But I, I do have, I have a worship pastor friend uh, in Texas, and we are, we're very close. We, we have this David and Jonathan type of dynamic, this iron sharpens iron. Uh, and anytime we're talking on the phone, we're, we're always encouraging each other, and we are uh, lifting each other up, and we will ask for prayer for the other person. We'll pray with each other over the phone. And when the phone conversation comes to an end, one of us will say first, I love you. And it's not weird. The only person I would say that to would be my dad. Uh, but any other guy would be like, <clears throat> I love you, bro. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot of hardships. We've gone through a lot of great times. And, and I will be like, hey, I love you, man. Whatever you need, whatever prayer you need, I'm, I'm there for you. And these people are the kinds of people that we need in our lives, people that will encourage us, people that will lift us up. Let's look at verse 7. It says, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So David stated earlier in the psalm that he wouldn't set before his eyes anything that is worthless. And he's saying that liars and deceivers and these people shall not continue before my eyes. So why, why are the eyes such a big deal? Well, we know that with David, when the kings were off the war, it was his eyes that caused him to sin. I mean, he could have been like, oh, nope, nope, oh, going back inside the house. I mean, he should have been a war in the first place, so it's its own fault. But his eyes were averted, and he kept looking, and then we know the story. He, he went in sin. Our eyes cause us to sin, and our eyes will betray us before our heart will. I've heard a saying that, you know, show me what you're focused on, or show me where your thoughts are. Show me what you're looking at, and I'll show you where your life is heading. So Jesus, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Now, before you grab spoons and start plucking your eyes, just hold up. If there's something negative in your life, if there's something toxic in your life, remove it. Go to the source. Remove it. If you get depressed and you're filled with anxiety from watching TV, well, stop watching the news. Turn it off. If you are filled with fear and you think that there is a demon lurking in every dark corner in your room, stop watching scary movies. Don't allow that stuff in, in, in your house. Be careful of, of what you're watching. And I'm not saying that every movie that you watch should be a Christian movie because Lord knows the Christian cinema needs some serious help. Their scripts and, and their acting is so bad. Oh, it's like, come on, Kirk Cameron. He's great at evangelizing, but the acting is, oh, it's rough sometimes. I will say, though, if you are looking for a good Christian thing to watch, watch uh, a little TV series called The Chosen. It's great. It's really great. I love it a lot. So we are easily influenced and we are swayed by the things that we allow ourselves to see. So if we want to live a more godly life, we have to watch what we watch, watch what we listen to, and watch who we associate ourselves with. Look at, look at verse 8. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So notice how David says, 
morning by morning. He, he didn't say that, okay, all the wicked and all the evil people in my kingdom, I declare this day, have been wiped out this very hour. I wish it were that easy. I take all the wicked people, put them on an island, say, here's a bunch of rocks, knock yourself out. It's not that easy. Sometimes I wish it was that we just you know, had a special island for all the crazy people and just have fun. So, but he says morning by morning. This is a process. In order to remove the things that are toxic in our lives, it's the process that we're going to have to do day by day. It's not something that's going to happen overnight because there's going to be some things in our lives that we will find that are so deeply rooted that we don't even realize that they're bad. We've become so comfortable with the things that we have that we think it's perfectly okay. And we've been so jaded by, by all of this. And I want to encourage you to do something. And, and it's this. And you can do this with a lot of scriptures. But if you really are thinking, man, I have some issues in my life I, I want to get rid of. I have some toxic relationships that I know I shouldn't be in. I want to encourage you every morning when you get up is read over this psalm, declare it over your life, pray over it, and say, hey, I'm not going to set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I'm going to live a life pleasing to God. I'm not going to allow toxic relationships in my life because I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to God. So declare this over your life. It's not going to happen the first day. And the second day, you know, guess what? You might just fail. Oh, no, I'm going to fail. What kind of Christian would I be? A normal one. Because guess what? We fail. We mess up. That's part of it. But we, we keep on going. We keep pushing forward and realize that God's for us. Even when we're down, He's for us. So what do we do from this point forward? How do we apply this psalm to our lives. Well, first off, if you want to live a godly life, well, I can't do it for you. Pastor Brian can't do it for you. You have to want to live a godly life. You have to get to a place where you say, there's some stuff in my life I need to work on. And you actually have to have the desire to do that. Give that over to the Lord. Say, God, I need help. Remove this. And next Maybe you're at a point where you're like, I have a pretty good life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset about anything. I'm good. Well, you may be thinking that, but the Lord's probably thinking something else. Like, I can find something. I can find something in your life. Let me help you out. So take time to, to really reflect on this and to analyze and say, Lord, is there something in me that shouldn't be there? Is there something in my life that I've had for so long that needs to go away? What, what is it? What can I do? And lastly, be willing to let go of those things that are toxic in your life. Be willing to say, I don't have to have this in my life. It's not worth it because I want to live a godly life. And then stop allowing yourself to be influenced by people that are deceitful, people that are manipulative, people that are constantly bringing you down. And I want to close with this statement, and it seems to be a recurring theme in this series, is that God loves you. You're going to fail. 
you've already failed or you're at a point to where you feel like you've turned so far away that you couldn't possibly be loved by God, God loves you. Believe it or not, He's rooting for you. He wants you to succeed, and He wants to give you all of the resources that you can to succeed and to live a life that is godly and pleasing to Him. So, Father, I ask that you would just open up our minds and our hearts, Lord, to receive the word that you've had for us this morning. I ask that you would just help us to reflect on our lives and to to inspect the things that need to be removed. Lord, I ask that you would just give us the strength to push forward, the strength to remove the things that need to be removed. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us the courage to surrender everything into your hands. To surrender our lives to your will and to your purpose so that we can walk in a path that is pleasing to you and a path that is godly. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks, but it's about pleasing you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.